You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today, the effects of COVID-19 and sports media. We'll be talking to Head of Sports and Events Programming at Showtime Network's Steven Espinosa and SI host and presenter Robin Lumberg as we break down how the world of broadcasting and reporting adjusts without the main component, action. A few weeks ago, we talked to SI senior writer Greg Bishop as he discussed how sports writers and journalists handle life and work during the pandemic. Take a listen. You know, I spoke to Jay Harris, the Sports Center anchor, about what it's like to do uh, Sports Center without a lot of highlights. You know, they've been focusing on the news. His background is in that, so he doesn't seem that thrown by it. I spoke to a guy like Jerry Tipton, covered Kentucky basketball for uh, 39 years. So this is the first time in almost four decades that he's had a march that was kind of open. Uh, he's trying to figure out if he should write about something else since he's been doing college hoops for so long. I spoke to this kid at the University of Washington, Alec Dietz, uh, who has uh, just graduated and just finished his tenure at the student paper. Uh, he can't find a job, which understandably is very difficult. He's moved back in with his parents. And it's like any other industry, you know. Our bosses are dealing with how do you shoot photos for these stories that I write? You know, no one's going to let somebody in their home to take photographs. There are no events to shoot. You know, that part of the world has essentially ground to a halt. You know, I have two documentaries that I'm working on for Sports Illustrated. Um, we can't film on either of those because there's no way to get a crew anywhere and there's no way to um, get people to agree to let you in their living room. Like that to me would feel um, disingenuous or dangerous, even if they were open to it. This is obviously no different than other industries, but it has a deep and wide impact. As Greg reminds us, these are unprecedented times for the sports industry. From freelance writers to play-by-play announcers, everyone is affected in one way or another. To go even deeper, we wanted to talk to decision-makers and those who not only have to worry about content and staff assignments, but also revenue, broadcasting rights, and scheduling from a networking perspective. 
What happens when you're a known, established network producing quality shows and live event programming, but are now forced to rethink your strategy? Joining us now is President of Sports and Event Programming of Showtime Networks, Stephen Espinosa. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to do it. Gives a uh, little bit of a break from Groundhog Day that we're all sort of living in. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Uh, but we really thank you for being here. Let's get straight into it, Stephen. I know that we're going to talk about a range of issues. How has the pandemic directly affected the sports media landscape and specifically with your own network? Well, I, I think the most obvious thing is the loss of live events, um, which has really been what, what set apart the sports industry from everything else. And and recently has been giving it its strength in today's media landscape. So like everybody else, I mean, it, it sort of feels like um, there's there, there sort of this three stages of adjustment to what's been going on. The first, which happens, you know, right away after everything started closing down mid-March was, you know, cleaning up what got canceled, undoing and unraveling all of those things. Um, and then there's a period of time after that where you're sort of saying, okay, what do I do um, as replacement programming? How am I going to work? What are we going to schedule? What are we going to put on air? How are we going to function in the short run? And I think that process has sort of, uh, I think for us, come to an end. We're used to working from home. We've got a little bit of routine here. And now it starts to get into the third stage, which is the really interesting and potentially creative one, is thinking about programming and changes to the media landscape long term in talking three, six, nine, 12 months, two years, three years, uh, because I, I think there are two sets of changes that we need to be thinking about here. One is what are the, the changes that we make uh, and the adjustments we make while this pandemic is going on? And then another set of things is let's think a year, two, three years down the line. Are there ways in which this experience is going to change us as business people, as consumers, as members of society. Um, what is sports going to look like? What are movie theaters going to look like? What is the entertainment industry going to think at? And if you're not thinking about that now and trying to figure out how this may change consumer behavior, then by the time it actually starts happening, it's going to be too late. So right now is when I think everyone's sort of settled in and now we're really starting to get a grasp on what does this mean for the next three, six, 12 months, and then beyond. So Stephen, a, a really um, valuable thing to remember when we talk to you specifically is that you obviously are in charge of a network that not only really focuses just on event programming, but also on sort of evergreen documentary programs or even interviews with athletes, etc. So, you know, it's not just your ESPN-related live-action content. There's so much more that goes to it. How has your production team been affected? And have there been major changes in the way that you guys, your team, specifically operates? Yeah, you, you know, this this will be one of those interesting, um, interesting things to keep an eye on and, and to figure out whether things are going to change you know, in the long run, because what this has forced us to do, whether it's production on a sports documentary and we're in production on four or five of them right now, or on the series side, you know, Billions, The Shy, uh, Black Monday, a whole range of, of, of different series, lock up the offices, leave, and we'll figure it out later. 
And now what we've been figuring out is how do you do post-production, you know, remotely? Um, so it required a lot of people upgrading their internet access and a lot of technological adjustments. But you know, one of the questions is now that we figured it out, is this something that, you know, in the long run we'll get used to doing and maybe it turns out to be more cost effective to not have large editing facilities and instead be able to do things remotely or through a cloud. Uh, it was probably heading that way anyway, but this has really accelerated that. So, you know, from that perspective, it is very different. Um, now, from everybody else, I mean, look, there's a there's a lot of uncertainty on the production end. The sports television industry um, is made up of a lot of freelancers in particular. Um, and there are a lot of advantages of being freelance. And you get to, you know, jump across different networks and different events and you have control of your own life and things like this. Like any entrepreneur, that means that in times like this, there's a little bit less certainty and less security than, you know, if you're a full-time employee, although certainly... You know, there are plenty of full-time employees who are not job secure anymore. Uh, so, you know, there's a, a whole range of people from announcers to the crew that are, are looking at this and, and really sort of holding their breath because, you know, this uncertainty that we're all living with. Not only have we never been in an environment like this before, we don't know when it's going to end and not just when it's going to end in terms of getting back to work, but when is it going to end in terms of being able to do sporting events, which is, you know, if we have a hierarchy of things, number one is, um, you know, let's get back to work, a functioning economy and things like that. You know, a little bit lower down the list is, you know, things like sports. And as much as we all enjoy it, look, that that's not the top of the list for anybody in terms of the priorities, in terms of testing and medical resources and all those other things. So, um, there's a, a, a lot of uncertainty um, across sports like all the other industries. So to that point that you just brought up, absolutely, it's about the economy getting back together. Health, of course, is the most important thing and sports being secondary, third, when it comes to things that need to come back. But as you mentioned, there are so many people, myself, yourself, um, you know, who depend so much on the livelihood and the production of sports. Let's talk about specifically one that you're very close to, dear to your heart, boxing, combat mm -hmm. sports. How has the pandemic affected that particular sport and what is Showtime doing with its boxing programming as we look to the future? Well, combat sports are in a, um, on an interesting perspective. Um, they have two, what I'll call advantages, um, you know, in, in some sense, you know, one is there isn't a, uh, organizing body, a real league type organizing body. Um, and whether that's advantage or disadvantage depends on the context. Here, you could argue either way um, that it is uh, either an advantage or disadvantage. Um, the disadvantage is, you know, there's no uniform policy and it's a little bit of the wild, wild west. The advantage in, in that is, um, you know, we don't have to coordinate, you know, 30 teams or 32 teams or, you know, entire league and vote with owners. Um, if there's a promoter and who wants to go forward with a fight card and there's a network willing to televise it, then you have an event. The other advantage, which is probably a bigger advantage, is, you know, from just the athlete perspective, you know, individual sports require fewer people than a big team sport. Like a traveling party for college football, you know, it might be 100 to 150 people. NFL game, you know, at least that. NBA, smaller, but still it's a significant traveling party. 
you know, here we're talking about in the main event, you know, two fighters and three guys in their corner. And you can multiply that by all the fights. But by the nature of individual sports, you know, there are fewer people involved, which in the current situation means less risk. Look, at, at the end of the day, no one really knows anything. Um, there are certainly people out there who are experts and very knowledgeable and, and very informed. Um, so when I say no one really knows anything, I mean, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know. I have yet to hear from anyone who has a coherent plan about how we're emerging from this. You know, how do we get back to work? How do we get back to normal? So we've got a bunch of contingency plans. You know, what if we were able to do live events starting in June, in July, in August? What would our schedule look like? What would our programming look like? What if we're coming back at a time where we can do the event, but we can't have a crowd? You know, where would we go for those events? So, you know, what we do now is occupy ourselves with, um, you know, trying to maximize the value of the programming we have, you know, documentaries and some other new original programming. And then going through this exercise of a thousand different possibilities of how this thing looks as we start to emerge from it. So what are some of the things that are coming up in Showtime that are covering the space, so to speak, in order to, as you mentioned, maximize programming and maintaining and growing audiences? There, there's one one trend or, or one dynamic that's, that's, that's unique, maybe not unique to combat sports, but especially strong in combat sports, and that's the value of replays. I think combat sports fans, whether it's MMA or um, you know, uh, martial arts generally or, or boxing, I think there's a greater appreciation um, and more of a, a habit of watching classic fights. You, you talked to a lot of the guys who are involved with ESPN uh, Classic when it first launched, and a lot of what did the best there was boxing. There's certainly no share of that. We've got a slot every Friday night. We're doing a classic fight, you know, and not just replaying it, but trying to re-engage with, you know, maybe the ref or the fighters or the trainers or bring a different perspective to it. Uh, we've got a lot of documentaries in the can. We've got one uh, being finished up by Kevin Durant and his team about the basketball talent in Prince George's County outside of D.C. where he grew up. Um, got a, a really big documentary called Outcry, which is a crime story set in the, the world of sports. So, you know, the reality is we're, we're trying to, A, provide as much fresh content as we can, uh, while at the same time not sort of blowing our wad, you know, in the first month of, you know, this sort of programming drought. Yeah, I see it almost as um, the nostalgia effect, right? People liking to come back to things that they remember, that they treasure. Do you, as president of sports and someone who constantly has to think about not just content, but also maintaining and growing an audience, do you find it that your job is now different in a way, at least for the for this time during the pandemic? Is there more outside of the box thinking when it comes to your audience? How has your sort of vision job uh, evolved, so to speak? I'm not sure it's changed that much, but the uh, priorities have changed. Um, it's been my personal philosophy that you know a, a good supervisor, the good head of a department or a, of a corporation. Uh, does two things. One, you know, he finds talented people and then gives them the resources and the tools to be able to do their jobs um, and then gets out of the way. 
you know, which is a, a key part of it. The second part of it is trying to think two, three, four, five years down the line, you know, to maximize their ability to up, you know, opportunistically address challenges and, and new opportunities as they come forth. So right now, I'd say that that latter part is, you know, stronger than ever um, because we need to be thinking about what are the kinds of habits that may come out of this? What are the kinds of things that may change? Um, you know, for example, if I was in the venue business, uh, I'd be thinking about all the different adjustments we may be seeing in sports venues. You know, maybe food service is presented differently. Maybe, you know, seating is done differently. Maybe, um, you know, you, you have different ways of getting in and out of arenas. So it's all the things, all the carryover habits of, of what's going to happen. I mean, I think there's a, a, a big question, not, not just in, in sort of when are we physically able to go back to work and get out in circulation, but what are the psychological scars, you know, from this? So the Knicks are back playing at the garden, you know, great, but it's Is my it? suspicion. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, that, maybe that's a bad choice. Um, uh, but you know, there's probably some portion of the audience for some period of time that sort of says, you know what, I'm a little skittish about going back into a, a, an arena with 18 to 20,000 people. I'll, I'll watch it at home. Um, that may go for movie theaters and Broadway and boxing events and MMA events. Um, so thinking about what it would be like to, in the short term, operate maybe without crowds and, you know, what are the types of things that you know, people are getting used to during this sort of pandemic that, that may turn into long-term habits that we need to prepare for. Finally, Stephen, um, I, I ask this of many of my guests. Uh, I'll ask you, obviously, as you mentioned, we don't know anything. Uh, we leave it to the experts. But how do you feel for the future? Uh, not even just 2020, but looking ahead. Are you optimistic? How do you envisage how this is going to turn down? You know, I, I firmly believe that sort of good leaders and, and good companies, um, you know, are, are able to adjust and, and take advantage regardless of the circumstances. So I think if you've got a strong management team um, that is focused uh, on the future and seeing things, trying to see things before they happen, uh, I think those companies, those organizations, those groups are going to be fine. I think if there's some weakness in your business, um, if there's weakness in the business model or in your leadership staff, it's at times like this in periods of stress um, that those weaknesses show up. It's again, it's one of those things. Once you get into the, the chaos and the distress, it's it's too late to prepare. Your team is in place. You're going to sink or swim based on what's been happening. So um I think our team's doing a great job. Um, I think Showtime as a whole is is been thinking about, you know, how do we, you know, quote unquote, take advantage of of these opportunities. And I, I don't mean that in a crass way because no one sees this or no one should see what is essentially a real tragic development in modern history as a business opportunity. Um, so I, I'm not saying look, anyone is looking to capitalize on it, but um, you adjust. There are opportunities. There are people who are home more than usual. Um, we know that. We see that in the numbers. They're looking for content. We know sports fans are, you know, anxious to get uh, anything they can. Um, 
if not for the NFL draft right now, I think people would just be losing their minds. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a downside to that. You know, the UFC um, is pretty adamant that they're going forward very aggressively with their schedule. That's something that they believe that they need to do for their business. And I think um, it's an exercise that everyone's got to go through for their own group. President of Sports and Event Programming for Showtime Network, Stephen Espinosa. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you guys for um, providing this service. I mean, there's, uh, you know, fostering this discussion and, and thinking about how might sports be different? How might sports television be different? How, uh, how are we going to come out of this and, and look at our, our athletes differently, our sporting events differently, at, at media differently? I think it's, um, you know, it's a little bit scary, but it's an exciting time to be able to you know, be this because it's usually in these times of distress or unexpected, you know, events that sometimes, you know, the biggest innovations, you know, come out of. Well said. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll return after these short messages. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Making crucial programming decisions has become a major focal point for any media platform, and this is no different to presenters and video hosts who have had to replace a studio for their own living room. The problem here is that sports video content, a highly demanded factor for any media organization, requires fast production and consistency on a daily basis. Hard enough in a normal situation, but during an outbreak that requires social distancing, this now becomes even trickier than before. Joining us now is Sports Illustrated's presenter, host, Robin Lumberg. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. You know, presenter, that's a, a nice way of putting it. I'm a presenter. <laughs> I think of you of so many other things, my friend. As a host, uh, as somebody who's in the media industry, a husband and father, how has your work been affected by the pandemic? Well, you know, it's interesting. I never thought my job was one I could do from home, but I suppose happening right now is not the worst thing with modern technology, right? You and I uh, can talk at, at this very moment, and I've been able to be just as productive. It's a little odd um, because there's not a separation there and mentally. That, that it can be an important thing where you're like, I'm at work and I'm at home. So, you know, I, I sometimes the lines are blurred. And then my, my kids are here. And the, the funny thing about that is I, I will never complain about getting to spend the entirety of my day with my children. It's a unique life event that, uh, you know, every one of us is always going to remember. And it, it's affecting every one of us, right? But my, my stock line is, because I'm, I'm doing these videos all day or whatnot, and people, you know, will, will call up and you'll, you'll make small talk and ask how you're doing. All things considered, you know, 
as far as my world is going, it's really good, uh, especially, you know, considering what, what's happening out there. So you mentioned the videos that you're doing. Something that uh, I'm particularly interested in is the fact that uh, we've had to sort of reshift in the way that we create content, right? The, the, the ideas that we've been trying to do. How have you been able to do that? Um, is it difficult for you to do it on a daily basis? How have you come across that? Yeah, it's challenging. I, I will say that. I mean, covering the news is not as challenging. The news is just different, the kind of news you're covering right now. Uh, and, and of course, there's no actual live event news. There's no actual gameplay news. But the creativity aspect of it, creating the content, that's what can be a challenge because you still want to stimulate the audience. You still want to be engaging and entertaining. And that's tough because the, the gravity of the situation. So I, I've sort of tried to bounce between the two worlds, one being how people are responding and what's happening with the, the pandemic, you know, Mike Gundy and, and what he said. So offering my commentary on that or Major League Baseball, you know, trying to, to return possibly in May quarantined, offering my thoughts on that, how it could be hope. But, you know, we have to put safety first. And then the stuff that we go to for the, the fun aspect of it, whether it's the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling or the, the five best basketball players I've ever seen. So it's sort of bouncing between those two. Like, all right, we got to deal with what's going on in the moment. We got to cover that. And, and how do you do that in, in the, the way that is both respectful of the situation, but engaging and entertaining. And then also, all right, some people don't want to hear about that all day and, and you know, you don't want to come across callous, of course, right? But people are turning on the TV and you're just seeing these horrible things and rising death counters and, and just terrible stuff like that. And sometimes I think people do just want to, you know, talk about something that's completely inane uh, and, and has nothing to do with the current events. So the NBA is obviously um, a league basketball sport very close to your heart personally, professionally, as the league deals with obviously the suspension and, you know, players trying to sort of, you know, deal with their own personal and professional lives as well. Has it been, uh, you know, reporting on the NBA? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not the only person who said this, but when it very first happened, uh, I, I do think the NBA is what led us to the realization of the severity of what's going on. I really believe that. Like historically, when you look back, it will be the night that the NBA decided to halt the season. It will be, you know, Adam Silver and, and company's leadership in, in a sense. And, and, you know, they were forced into it, right? They were forced into it because Rudy Gobert had the positive test. But I still give credit because what is leadership? Leadership is making a quick, you know, authoritative decision when you need to in a high-stress situation. So I, I think that part of basketball will always be linked to this. And then I do think it's okay. Every time you, you start talking about sports and basketball and their return, you, you get a, a group of people to say, you know, well, all people are dying out there. All this is happening. And, and trust me, I'm as aware of that as anybody. And I recognize that. Uh, and sports are, are nowhere near even in the stratosphere of importance when you're, you're talking about, you know, people's lives and people's safety and, and everything like that. At the same time, I do think it's okay to hope that sports come back, right? Like it's okay to, to, to recognize the problem. That's why we're all in our homes right now, right? That, that's why we're all taking the measures that we're taking. But we, we do want a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I think things like a return to the NBA season would represent that. It, it's, it's symbolic of, you know, something that, that people can go back to, you know, enjoying life again and, and realizing, 
you know, this won't be this way forever. I mean, there are going to be a lot of harsh lessons learned, I think. I believe the NBA is what, you know, started that chain of events. But as a basketball fan, I'm not afraid to say I'm hoping that basketball comes back. I'm hoping that they can find a way to, to make it work. And <laughs> I'm not a medical professional. I'm not an expert. So I don't know. A lot of the, the other people weighing in, I don't think know either. So it's basically with a giant disclaimer, right? Like the giant disclaimer has to pop up on the screen. As long as public safety isn't jeopardized, as long as the safety of the participants aren't jeopardized, and as long as the testing measures that are provided to the players are also available to the general public, then please bring the NBA and bring sports back. Obviously, we can't predict the future, as you said. Nobody knows. Uh, we're not experts when it comes to the medical aspects of things, especially. But how do you see the next few months shaping up in the sports world? That's It's really tough to predict. If I had to give my best guesstimate at it, I think the, the month of April is gone, right? Uh, the month of April is gone probably the month of May as well. Uh, if I'm taking a real optimistic approach, I'm hoping maybe by the summertime we could start to get quarantined events uh, where you know you do just have the teams and you have the, the, the league, if you will, sequestered in certain areas. Um, and that's my hope. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know how feasible that is. Apparently, it's dependent on rapid testing. But th that's my, my hope. Um, so I, I do want to see that come to fruition. In the meantime, we've got horse competitions, right? Anybody who complains about a horse competition, I was slap in the face because <laughs> I, I basically would go H, hooray, O only, R, realistic, uh, S, sporting, E, event we've got right now other than UFC Island, whatever's going on over there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I personally would love to see some soccer players do some tricks as well. Maybe we get to see two of best worlds. How is the relationship, by the way, when you look at the landscape of athletes and what they're doing personally on their social accounts, etc.? How have you seen them go navigate through all of this? And do you think that reporters and the relationship with athletes has changed in a way, maybe for the better from an engagement perspective? What do you think? Uh, I do hope in a sense um, this is a humanizing moment. Tom Hanks and the NBA, you know, it took these celebrity bigger than life figures for people to go, oh, wait, this is a real thing. Um, but those are real human beings, too. You know, and, and Tom Brady talked about his legacy the other day on Howard Stern show. And we're always talking about guys legacies. But sometimes, you know, you make a personal decision that impacts your professional one. So the only thing that actually makes sense to me right now is a doctor athlete podcast right <laughs> like a doctor athlete conversation because it seems like those are the 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 two um avenues we've had into our knowledge here the people we should be trusting the people who are actually experts and then the, the people who you know we were following who their entire you know way of life stopped and we stopped as a result of it. But I, I do hope it's humanizing for everyone because we all are sharing through this experience. And, and I think, again, I want to shout out the NBA because I think the NBA players have done a great job too, like just donating, giving updates on, on how they're doing, staying active, letting people know what's going on. Um, because I, I think, you know, as much as the NFL has, has gone on business as usual, and, and there's a role for that, too. I mean, free agency really helped distract people. The draft will probably do the same. I think the NBA will always have that connection to this. What do you see 
as the biggest hurdle for the sports media industry to clear between now and when the pandemic is lifted? Uh, if we're being 100% straight, ad revenue. Uh, you know, that, that's what's affected a, a myriad of industries. I mean, the, the radio business uh, is very reliant on local, especially local markets, local advertising. You've seen a lot of radio stations make their full-time people work extra days and cut their part-time people. Um, you've seen layoffs across the media industry, uh, obviously, basically everywhere you look, and that's because the ad revenue's not coming in. So um, I, I think, to be honest, for the, the media industry, we can all do what we can to do our jobs the best we can and, and to, to report, comment, follow what, what, we're, what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But uh, I think for the overall health of it, the money's going to have to come back into it. And that's probably not going to start until events begin to resume and until, you know, the, the world opens back up, if you will. Sports Illustrated's Robin Lumberg, host, presenter, video hit generator. Thank you so much for joining us. Always, whenever you guys will have me. Thanks. As we learned from our guests today, the sports media landscape has needed to be proactive during the pandemic. Naturally, this is true for any industry in media, but what makes sports even more unique is that it relies heavily on three components, live action, multimedia production, and most importantly, an ability to constantly report as well as innovate on content. And it has to happen on a daily basis. And as the industry battles with financial and economical instability, forcing layoffs and staff restructuring, everyone has to become a Swiss army knife in order to advance. Thanks to Steven Espinosa and Robin Lumberg for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.